It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good Saturday morning. It's Ashley Frasca, and the countdown to Christmas is on. 14 days, exactly two weeks to the day. Um, and I have a confession to make. I don't have my tree yet, of, through no fault of anyone's but, but my own. Uh, weekends have been busy during the week. I'm just too tired. The days I've thought about doing it, it was raining, and I, I go all out. I do the live tree from Pike Nursery, so can't go get it on a day that it's raining. It's just a little more cumbersome to deal with. So today might be the day. But if you're listening and you haven't already heard, the weather's going to be a little wonky today as well. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll just put it off one other day. But I hope you're already enjoying the spirit of the season. You have a lot of fun activities going on. The kids are starting to get wound up and maybe only have another week or two of school left. And then it's going to be Christmas time. 404-872-0750 is the number to join me this morning on Green and Growing. And I certainly hope you do. Any question, any comment, I am welcome and open to having those on the show. And to let you know kind of what's coming up, Walter Reeves taking the Saturday off, well-deserved rest. So Becky Griffin, our friend from the University of Georgia and the uh, North North Georgia Mountain Research and Education Center campus up there, uh, going to be joining us live at 6.30, talk about garden planning for 2022. And she's got a lot of good things to think about. I thought, well, how hard is that? You know, you just kind of decide a few months in advance what plants you want, and then you're going to go out and buy them in the spring. But there's a little more involved doesn't have to be an intimidating task by any means. And discovering new varieties, why that may be important to introducing some new things to your landscape and to your garden, plus notes for educators. So some of you teachers or some of you guys listening and maybe your wife's still asleep, wake them up and say, you know what, we're going to have some some great ideas for things that are uh, transferable to the classroom, getting kids more involved. And I loved last weekend having little Addie, who won that Bonnie Plants cabbage growing contest. My goodness, if you missed that interview, that was adorable. Um, a student from Cherokee County participated in a national contest sponsored by Bonnie Plants, and she won for the state of Georgia for growing the largest cabbage. And it was like 20 pounds, right over 20 pounds, um, almost as big as her. So that really inspired me to, again, want to reach out to educators and young folks and get them into gardening. And then coming up at 7.30, our friend Joe Lample, also known as the Joe Gardner Franchise podcast. He's an author. He's got Growing a Greener World as the TV show. He'll be on with us from 7.30 to 8.30, so we certainly can take advantage of some of his knowledge. You'll be able to maybe have time to call and ask questions of Joe. But he's been doing a lot of good stories lately and got a lot of good uh, content in the podcast. You know, gardeners never rest. There is always something to be talking about, even in the wet seasons, even in the cold seasons. So I have some questions for him about grow bags. He's got some really good experience with grow bags, kind of what his uh, experiences have been. And a lot of the questions that folks ask him, the commonly asked questions about grow bags, plus native gardens, planting native gardens, ones that attract pollinators, why that's so important. And I know Joe really thinks outside of the box as far as bringing other things into your landscape other than just a lawn, things that are really going to benefit uh, the you know ecological system around you. 404-872-0750. So I'm going to start off with a Facebook message that I got and a conversation I had with Amy this week. We kind of went uh, 
back and forth all weekend after last Saturday's show. And I loved what she had to ask. She said, okay, maybe a soil test is in order, Ashley. I maybe need more iron in the soil. My azaleas are yellowing. And before that, my dwarf gardenias were yellowing. And so my house faces this way, plenty of sun. Any help is appreciated. So, you know, sometimes really the best advice is just not thinking too hard about it, taking a step back and wondering, is that Mother Nature running its course? So I said, you know, my team of one, Amy, to get back to you, some yellowing on the azalea is totally normal this time of year when the seasons change. A soil test, though, never hurts. That is something you can do year-round. It would be actually quite beneficial to do it this time of year. It's going to take a few weeks to get the results back. And then in time for spring planting, whether you're doing a vegetable garden or whether you're going to install some new plants or what have you, you know, before the summer months, you would have your results, know what your soil is going to need, and really work some good, nutritious stuff into the soil now Give it a few months to all kind of blend together. Um, getting the soil test kit from Pike Nursery or go pick it up for free at your county extension office. And they have a sheet right there that gives you the directions on how to do that. But if any of the leaves look beyond just yellow, like maybe they look diseased or have some black spot or something like that, good practice in general. And we talked to a caller last Saturday, same thing, to rake all of those away from the base of the plant. Throw them away. Um there's a lot of viruses and a lot of fungus, too, that can overwinter. The cold temperatures are not going to kill it. So it can stay in the soil. It can stay around the plant. So anything that looks diseased, even if you've got you know big black spots on your hydrangea leaves, go ahead and rake those back and just pick them up and move them somewhere else or put them in a lawn bag. Um, and you know your first thought, maybe sometimes when you're outside and you're not really that experienced of a gardener, you think, well, maybe it needs fertilizer. Maybe it's, it's yellowing and that means it's lacking nutrients and I got to fertilize it. Well, keep in mind, if you learn nothing else from the show, and I impart no other wisdom onto you other than this, Wait until something is actively growing. Um, You don't need to eat when you're not hungry. But when you're hungry and you're active, that's when you need food and you need the nutrition back. So plants work the same way. When they're actively growing, fertilizer is really going to help give them a boost. So, yeah, Amy sent a lot of pictures. And uh, there's yellowing throughout the, the dwarf azaleas. But I think that's perfectly fine. But, you know, this is a good time if you're thinking about Looking at a plant and maybe, you know, all summer long, it just didn't quite produce as well as you wanted it to. It wasn't as lush as you wanted it to be. This is a good time now that a lot of those leaves are falling off to go in there and just kind of check some of the limbs. You know, maybe the kids or the dog run by the same plant and bush every day and have whacked it. And there's a couple of limbs that look like they're probably pretty precarious on the plant. Go ahead and prune away the dead stuff. The dead stuff is not doing anybody any good. So that's going to be a good thing for you to do. And another good question that I had, and this one was fantastic. Uh, listen up if you like your Lenten rose or your hellebores, because Sharon wrote in, she she schooled me. She educated me, which I love this. She said, Ashley, help. I've got three hellebores. It mysteriously died over the summer. She did some research. She said, I discovered there's a nasty virus called hellebore black death. It's most likely the cause. But, you know, my remaining hellebores in a completely different location They had some symptoms, too. So is it common in Georgia? And can you confirm it before I pull up the plants? So I really could relate to Sharon sending me that because I've got three. I bought them at Pike Nursery, gosh, five, six years ago when I first discovered a a Lenten rose and how antique and how unique looking these plants are. 
They stay green throughout the year, but they start to bloom when nothing else does. They're blooming in the wintertime, even before the daffodils start to bloom. They've got some really just faded, muted, like I said, antique-looking colors, I guess. So I bought three, planted them beside the pergola in the backyard. I just got tired of hostas. The previous homeowners, God bless them, they established a wonderful landscape for us. But hostas were everywhere. So I thought, okay, I'm going to mix this up. But in the condition where the hostas do great, hellebores are going to do just as well. So they've just got a lot deeper green color, a lot more texture. They flower. So planted three of those. And as I'm out and about, kind of starting to cut back canna lilies and, you know, just kind of look at the grass seed that we put back there um, maybe a month or so ago. One hellebore, five or six years old, just completely died back to the ground. I mean, there was almost nothing left. Just a few black stubby little stems sticking out of the ground. Now the other two next to it, you know, I shoved the the leaves that had fallen from the trees out of the way. They looked okay down at the crown of the plant, the base of the plant. Those two looked okay. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but just thought, I don't know why this plant has died from the ground up and killed all the leaves. So I'm really glad Sharon made that observation again about hellebore black death. Um, really had me look closely at her pictures do a little bit of research, and of course, the first place I go online is University of Georgia Extension. Um, so some of the symptoms for that, the most striking appearance that you're going to notice on your hellebores, and you may want to have that on the to-do list today. It's not on my to-do list for you, but go out and take a look at those when you've got your cup of coffee this morning before it starts raining. Um, the black streaks on the surface of the leaves, and the main stem is going to have black streaks, and a lot of those black streaks as well on the leaves are going to be along the veins. So that's really going to be kind of obvious and some maybe brittle, um, stunted growth that looks black or brown. So really kind of match it up with what the pictures look like online. This disease did not start here, but it was discovered in the U.S. probably close to 20 years ago. But there hadn't been that many states that reported it, but it is a virus. So it is transmitted and carried by pests like aphids. Um, so my suggestion to Sharon was, A, you know, take it to the county extension agent, have them look at it, and then B, if that's really what it is, there's no treatment, um, there's no cure, but to be preventative a little bit with the other ones, go ahead and maybe start uh, treating for aphids. That way, if you kill the bug that carries it, you can maybe slow the process, prevent the process from happening. Um, but I want to learn a lot more about that and save the hellebores. They're an expensive plant, but once you get them, they're fantastic perennials. 404-872-0750. Speaking of that to-do list, we'll be back with that in less than five minutes. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. It's WSB. It's Scott Slate. Did you know you can listen to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on Saturday mornings on your smart speaker? And me too, weekday mornings. Just tell your smart speaker, play 95.5 WSB, and we're on. 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's news and talk. Here's Ashley. Thank you, Scott Slade, which, by the way, Scott Slade and all of our WSB radio show hosts did a fabulous job. Hats off to Clark Howard, broadcasting darn near around the clock yesterday for Clark's Christmas Kids. So if you missed the radio station on Thursday and Friday, boy, you missed a good time. Talk about waking up, feeling good, getting in the holiday spirit. Holy cow, Clark's Christmas Kids, you guys did it again. Thanks to all of you listening throughout Metro Atlanta, throughout the state of Georgia, you have ensured that I could, I could tear up thinking about it, 8,500 
children in the foster care system through no fault of their own, through nothing that they've done wrong, all of them will each get at least three presents under the Christmas tree this holiday season. That is a huge task, guys. When we started the campaign on the air on Thursday, this gift ticker on ClarksChristmasKids.com reflected in big red letters or red numbers that we needed 25,000 gifts because 8,500 kids times three gifts per kid, 25,000 gifts. Usually we'd be at Walmart stores with you for a couple of days. You'd be able to go shop in the Walmart stores, but we did everything online this year and every child is going to get everything they asked for. So that's fantastic. Congratulations, Clark Howard. Thank you to all of my colleagues who just poured their hearts and souls into that, gave up their shows uh, to really talk about this effort and put everything they had into it. And real quick, I think I have a chance to thank the sponsors too. a lot of WSB advertisers and companies that you're familiar with jumped in. They jumped at the chance to be a part of this this year. Uh, Finley Roofing, Scana Energy, Ray's Restaurants, Rocco's European Garage, Outfront Media. Uh, you may know them with having billboards throughout Metro Atlanta. They donated some billboard space for us. Jackson Healthcare, the Atlanta Braves Foundation, Jim Kennedy, ST and Margaret D. Harris Foundation, Kids Are Kids, and yesterday during the Mark Aram Show at 5 p.m., Amerigroup made a $100,000 donation to Clark's Christmas Kids. So we were darn close, maybe about 5 p.m. We were down to maybe 2,000-something gifts needed. That wiped it out. So thank you all so, so much. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right. Made it through the thank yous and didn't even have to smear my eye makeup. Love it. All right. Number one, cut things back that have withered. They're doing absolutely no good uh, at this point, and they're not fun to look at. So uh, Mexican petunias, canna lilies, hostas, elephant ears, white ginger lily, especially with the rain coming, they're just going to continue to just get soggy. Um, Number two, my guest Becky Griffin coming up in less than 10 minutes. We're going to talk about reflecting on your successes and failures in the garden this past year. So maybe my advice to you would start keeping a journal. Um, Write down what dates you planted stuff, because trust me, you're going to want to know next year and you're going to kick yourself for not writing it down. Properly store the seeds you want to keep. Clean all your pruning equipment right now, all your gas and electric equipment equipment to keep it in tip-top shape for next year. And number three, we just talked about this. So yeah, it was on the list. Hello. I make this list and I forget what I put on it. Inspect your hellebores, your Lenten rose. Uh, Sharon on Facebook brought that to my attention. If you watched them die back stem by stem this summer, could be hellebore black death, could be another fungus. Who knows? But it's worth looking uh, looking at. If yours still look okay, though, like two of mine do, fingers crossed, flip away any of the ratty looking leaves and just wait for that new growth. 404-872-0750. We'll be back right after this. Good morning to you. It's Ashley Frasca on Green and Growing. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Here we are back with you, and I'm live in the WSB radio studio on a Saturday morning. 404 872 0750. I've got Brent with me. I've got Shaney B. You get to talk to the famous Shaney B. 
when you call to be on Green and Growing today. That is a treat. 404 872 Got a good question from Kristen in Woodstock about her lantana, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I wanted to bring on Becky Griffin, the Community and School Garden Coordinator and uh, Certified Beekeeper. My gosh, Pollinator Health Program Associate, all the great things you do. I don't even know if I got half of your title, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> I think that about covers it. Uh, good morning, Ashley. How are you this morning? Very good. UGA, uh, Georgia Mountain Research and Education Center, Gardner Extraordinary. My goodness, we finally got to meet, spend a lot of time together when I came up we to did. see you in Blairsville. Um, and you what taught a great me, day that was. That was. And we got to see the beehives and all of that. And I learned so much. But really, you know, every time I talk to you, I learn something. So selfishly, I'm like, I'm going to use Becky as the medium to teach the listeners a thing or two, because I know you've got some good information to share with us for sure. So when you and I kind of put our heads together, Becky, like, okay, I'll be on in December. What do you want to talk about? One of your ideas was garden planning for 2022. Mm -hmm. And, you know, folks may have just heard me say, you know, maybe keep a journal, start storing some seeds because you're trying to think ahead. But I'm the guy that wishes I had kept notes, that wishes... I had written down, you know, when did I start my tomato seeds? When did I put those things in the garden? How long did it take for my bell peppers, you know, from once they started flowering to when I got fruit? Um, so I know you are more organized than I. So what is <laughs> one of the most basic things you do to plan and to think ahead? Well, um, my number one advice if for anybody in the state of Georgia is to, when you go visit one of our amazing gardens, whether it's the State Botanical Garden in Athens or the big botanical gardens in Atlanta, there are several smaller gardens that are more local, like Kennesaw has that great Smith-Gilbert Gardens. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have the Coastal Botanical Gardens in Savannah. And even the local extension offices have demonstration gardens. And why I think that's so important is you can see what grows well in your area uh, with a little bit of maintenance. Um, how well it does, what does it look like, how would it look in your landscape. And if it's growing down the street, chances are it can grow in your garden as well. If you look at a lot of the national television shows that talk about growing things like lilacs, they're not going to grow well here. You need to look local. So anytime you visit one of those gardens, take a picture. Now, a lot of us do that. So the first thing is thumb through those old pictures. Who did you visit this summer? What did you like? So much that you took a picture. Make a note of that plant for your 2022 garden. So that's my number one advice I give everybody. Take advantage of those plantings that are already there. That's that's great advice. And taking pictures, too, because now with the advent of smartphones, when you've gone to visit a friend, like when I went to visit you in Blairsville, or you saw a plant on the side of the road and you took a picture of it, it's got the date, right? So you're able Mm -hmm. to look back at your phone and be like, ooh, that plant was in full bloom when I took this picture in May, or wow, my bell pepper looked really good and I took a very hot picture of my vegetables, you know, come July (laughs) or something. My phone has more pictures of plants and things than social life. So, hey, I mean, that's what we do. (laughs) That's right. I have a lot of insects on my phone, as you can imagine. (laughs) Yes. And also, too, I mean, if you're an avid gardener and you have a lot of Facebook friends and followers who are with you on that, posting stuff and sharing things. And I've found myself to do that. You know, I go back and look at the Green and Growing Facebook page to to Mm -hmm. kind of catalog when I documented something that I did. And then that's super helpful to just have it out there. Right, and the um, our website, our our Facebook page, the 
Georgia Pollinator Census Facebook page has tons of pictures of people who post plants, and they may say, what is this plant? It attracts a lot of really nice butterflies, or where do I get this plant? So, yes, you're right. Social media is, and you can scroll backwards, like you were mentioning, to, to see what you um, what was posted back in the summer or the fall when things were really blooming. Yeah. Another um, interesting thing is, I don't know about your listeners, but my seed catalogs have already started coming in. Yep. It used to be we didn't get those till after Christmas, so uh, I haven't looked at them. I'm savoring that for after the holidays. But looking through those and reading about them and comparing what you see in those seed catalogs to what um, the, your local experts have said will grow well there is really a fun thing to do on a cold winter day. And I always tell people, especially vegetable growers, try something new. Ooh, you know, if you haven't ever grown eggplant, give that a shot. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't grown lettuce, you're missing out. Pick some of those crazy lettuce names like Drunken Woman <laughs> or um, Arugula Rocket and add that to your list. And if they work out, great. You have something new. And if they don't, well, you learn something. So gardening is supposed to not just be productive. We're supposed to be having fun with it, right? Yeah, it should not be a chore. You should be enjoying doing it. Now, the garden catalogs that you get, um, are they, you know, you don't have to say any names, but are they published by a national publisher? Like, how do I know if I've never looked at a seed catalog before, how do I know that the seeds in there are targeted for my region? Well, um, a couple things. Most importantly, um, learn your zone. What zone are you in? Are you in 7A, 7B, uh, which most of your listeners probably are, and that is going to be listed in the catalog next to the plant description. So that's going to be help you narrow down what plants should grow well in your area. I like to try and use local, uh, you know, southeast seed companies um, are always helpful because I know that they've um, – They've trialed their seeds in the southeast, which is helpful because, you know, we have the fungal capital of the United States, it seems. So yeah. you want to make sure you try and get disease resistance. So those are some hints to kind of help you narrow down what your choices should be. That is really going to be fun. And I mean, I know a lot of gardeners who I can picture the day that they curl up with a cup of coffee or a glass of mm -hmm. wine, they curl up with that seed catalog and they get so excited planning ahead because it's all about the future, right? It's all about what you have to look forward right. to. You know, you're planting a tree now to enjoy it for decades to come. Same with your garden. You just get excited. So that is good advice. Thank you, Becky. Right. And of course, um, for those people who um, know me and my, my projects, we have the Pollinator Plants of the Year program, which is out of the State Botanical Gardens. And um, every year we recommend four plants and work with nurseries to have those available. And if you see those in your nursery, then you can purchase those uh, come springtime knowing that they would be good for your garden. Um, you can uh, ask your local nursery uh, if they can get them. But that's a Georgia program that supports Georgia nurseries, Georgia growers, and is guaranteed success with wonderful pollinator, beautiful landscape plants as well. Now, is that something that folks visit the website and they vote on as their favorites? Uh, well, we usually have, uh, anyone can nominate a plant. Uh, the people who do the voting are the people who really know those plants, and they can say, well, I don't know, that one does tend to maybe not do well in the south. Of the, the state or this one may end up getting powdery mildew and we don't want that yeah. so the people who do the voting are the ones who are going to be um the little the more experts who want to weed out any potential problems who i did there weed out <laughs> any potential problems um so that the plants that go forward 
are really no-brainers for the Georgia Garden. That's perfect. What a good program. Now, what's the website or how do folks get to see the plants of the year? Um, the state, just uh, Google State Botanical Gardens. It's the one in Athens, and they have an amazing native plant um, group uh, headed up by Heather Alley, and they're the uh, purveyors of this program. And then there's several of us who are uh, partners with it. And then we work with growers and nursery people across the state. And now do you sometimes find, Becky, that some of those plants kind of what's old is new again? I mean, do classics come back and folks are kind of rediscovering them after a generation or two? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, we'll have the grand announcement for the next ones uh, coming up in January. And uh, there's one or two in that list that are my grandmother would know. Wow. But we, Yes. And that's fun. And we started the, the program came about because um, we can't find some of these. Like everyone loves butterfly weed, the orange tuberosa, mm -hmm. but you couldn't find it at a local nursery. And you should be able to, right? So we kind of started this program to make those those plants that we think you should find uh, findable with uh, growers and the nursery people. So that's just another way to kind of think ahead, plan some space for some of those plants when you're looking at adding to your garden or, or making a brand new flower garden. Now, and that's funny because it's interesting with the supply and demand, right? You know, a lot of gardeners will discover plants that then once they start clamoring for them, nurseries may go into a scramble and go, wow, this one plant's really taken off. You know, we need to increase our inventory. But by the same token, to really help and support the local nurseries, you know, they may exactly. have these plants that are native, that are wonderful, that people aren't just as well educated as they should be about them. So that's, too, where your group comes in. You know, look, this is native. They're already growing this. It's cost-effective. It's perennial. It's whatever. And educating folks, that is a good plant. They've got plenty of supply. Go get it. You know, run with it. So I like that it goes right. both ways. And if a grower wants to grow something and has no experience, the people at the State Botanical Gardens are there as a resource to help supply them with information or um, uh, plant starts or anything like that. So if a grower is interested, they just contact the State Botanical Gardens to get in on the program. Nice. So it is, uh, It's you know, rarely in the world do we have a win-win-win, you know, where everybody wins. But I like this program for people who are planting their gardens, for um, those who are retailers and those who are growers. It's a win for everyone. That's awesome. Well, hey, if you need an MC on the big night and everyone's going to be in black tie when the announcements are made of the winners, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I, I know you have credentials there, so we will keep you in mind. I will present the award to the luckiest plants. That's fantastic coming up in January. Okay. Well, Becky, before we go to break, I am going to bring you right back, but I wanted your help. Speaking of planning ahead and thinking in the garden and all of that, we've got Kristen on the line. Um Brent, if you don't mind, lock Becky in so I don't lose her, but I want to keep Becky on the phone at the same time as Kristen, too. 404-872-0750. I'm going to see if this works. Kristen from Woodstock, you are hanging on. Good morning. Yes. Hi. Good morning to you. A quick question. I have a huge butterfly garden, and I have two very large lantana. I mean, they're seven feet tall. And normally by now, I would have cut them back to the ground almost. But I haven't done that, and I see little critters kind of running in and out. And I'm wondering, are they going to winter there? Should I leave them as is, or will that hurt once I do cut them back in the spring? 
I love, Kristen, that you're already thinking ahead to that. And Becky, you know, we talked about we need to start thinking about planning ahead, when to prune, when things are going to grow back and all of that. Oh, we lost Becky. She'll be right back. But yeah, Kristen, I mean, I like that you're observing that because months ago I was telling folks as things were still flowering, it was a good idea to leave them because they're still an energy source for some of the birds if they go to seed or they're an energy source for some of the bees that were still flying around. So if it aesthetically doesn't bother you, I would go ahead and just leave them and let them be. Because, yeah, I mean, it provides shelter. It provides a little bit of warmth for some of the critters and all of that. So um, it's not hurting anything. But if it's just tough to look at or it's one of those (laughs) things where the lantana is overgrown, you know, you probably need to start the pruning process slowly but surely of reducing it a little bit if that's, you know, for size. But I would say leave it. I think that's great you observe that. Okay, as long as the HOA will let me leave them, I'll do it. (laughs) Yes, that's absolutely right. Gosh, that can be pesky sometimes. And Becky, I've got you back. So what would you say to Kristen? Like, I love that the the critters are using her lantana. Just leave them alone, right? Yeah, do we know exactly what critters we're talking about? Um, I'm not sure if Kristen mentioned We're having some phone issues, so I can't get back to her. Could be little rabbits, neighborhood cats, anything like that. All right. We're going to go ahead and take a break and get all this sorted out, but we will be back with Becky Griffin as well. 404-872-0750. Green and growing on WSB. It's Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on 95.5 WSB. The news, weather, and traffic team will be here first thing Monday morning to help you get back to work on time and informed. Now back to Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. Glad to be back with my friend Becky Griffin, who does so much good in educating students and local teachers and really getting things hands on. So, Becky, we talked about, you know, notes for educators, maybe. What are some ideas Mm -hmm. you have in ways to inspire them? Well, the number one thing for educators is they have to be able to tie whatever they're doing in the garden to the curriculum. And sometimes that can be a little daunting. So some ideas are just thinking out of the box. If you're a literature teacher, think about how the garden can relate to literature. Like, for example, the book Sarah Plain and Tall. Everyone knows that book. Sarah traveled west and missed home so badly she planted a garden. Well, you can replicate that garden and use it to teach literature, teaching that book, maybe doing some some plant or insect haku in the garden. If you're a history teacher, wow. Um, Thomas Jefferson's garden can, you know, some of those pea projects that he did that he was famous for can be replicated in your garden. And, of course, I have to say that um, if you're doing STEM lessons, definitely connect with the Georgia Pollinator Census. We have lesson plans on our website. We're adding more all the time. The teachers that participate not only have a STEM experience in August and counting, they can follow up year-round with lessons. Um, so those are ideas, just thinking outside the box to not just make it, okay, we're in the garden for the garden's sake. How can we tie that into what we're already teaching? So where where would they get the lesson plans? I mean, obviously they can come up with their own, but just to kind of get that spark and y'all already have some created, how do they find that? Right. Um, teachers don't want to come up with their own lesson plans. <laughs> they are just swamped. They're in survival mode still. Yeah. So if they go to the um, Pollinator Census website, mm-hmm. which is G G A pc.org and uh, tune in we're adding new lesson plans we're also coming up with a very interesting stem challenge 
with the um, Georgia Conservation Districts oh. this year, and that's going to be announced on Valentine's Day. So we understand the problems that teachers have, that their time is valuable, their frustration level is through the roof, and we want to help them meet their goals in the easiest way possible. That's fantastic. And Becky, if you don't mind, I'm going to link over to the Great Georgia Pollinator Census website so that any teachers that are listening uh, will be able to find some of those resources. You've done the work for them. I appreciate everything you do and the passion that you've got. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure. And you're going to be you're going to go out and be so charitable in helping the local Shop with the Cop program, Becky Griffin. We'll definitely have you back. I look forward to a visit. All right. I want to visit with you. 404-872-0750. Get your calls in now to be on Green and Growing on WSB. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.